0: Hello and welcome to the Tony Daily with me, Tony Kent. It's the podcast that invites you to come find yourself so you can listen to this and say, oh, thank God for that. It's not just me. And I can speak to you and say, it's not just you. It is also me. Right. I promised you um, something about the Hacienda, or at least I think I did. So I'd watch this. Yeah, I did. Um, I'd watched this documentary on the Hacienda the other night. And like wallowed in it, basically, because anything that shows me um, images of people (laughs) dancing to Acid House and then dancing to Happy Mondays um, and features clips of Sean Ryder back in the day and Sean Ryder today, reflecting on what it was like to get a hacienda. Um, Yeah, all of that. Mike Pickering. Fascinating hearing him talking about um, his DJing and then the um, how New Order they interviewed uh, some a couple of the members of New Order about how they essentially bankrolled it factory records. I mean, they're just for me like it's you know, like dance culture, rave culture house music, all of that. Um, learned some things I didn't know about um, the uh, flesh gay night that they used to have there and what used to go on there. They have one of the DJs talking about that. And she had some very, she has some very spicy things to share. Um And there was a clip, actually, of Michaela Strachan um, and Pete Waterman doing the Hitman and her, And I remember watching that. Um, Sometimes, I think I'd got home from the pub, but I was too young to have been at the pub. Um, And so Pete Waterman was there, like, interviewing Mike Pickering, who was off his tits. Um, But he was going, oh, yeah, look at your decks and look at the music, and this is really cool. And then Michaela Strachan was sat with people downstairs who were sort of trying to explain what it was about the Hacienda that was so important. Um, and they were basically going, wibble, ibble, ibble. Um, but one of the guys said, well, we come here because it's like the only club in Manchester, really. And she went, oh, what a shame. <laughs> you know, when you look back and go, no, 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 no. <laughs> that would have been a way better club in its heyday than, well, going to La Martin's in Basingstoke. Good God. Um, yeah, so... Uh, really enjoyed watching that and, um, it sparked a, a, a memory in me. Um, and it's something I don't think I've spoken about before. And just as a warning, maybe to this, um, includes references to post childbirth. And if you are of a squeamish disposition, switch it off now, um, this happened in the context of, so I'd had my son. So this happened, he's 14, yeah, 14 years ago. Um, and I just had him, so I had him at a birthing, birthing centre, birthing center, which um, is NHS provided, really, really fortunate where we live, um, is in a village that is equidistant between three hospitals and each hospital is 25 miles away. So, and none of them are easy to get to. And luckily about eight miles away, 10 miles away is, um, a birthing center. The Uh, you can go to if you have got a straightforward pregnancy and at low risk of anything going wrong because you can't have any interventions there. And I'd had my daughter there and I thought, well, I'll have my son there too because that would be nice. So he was born and then he coughed up some meconium when he was born. Uh, Oh, that was it. No, they'd broken my waters and some meconium came out. Um, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's basically poo. So he had pooed, um, in my womb and then there's a the potential that baby can have inhaled some of that and that's really dangerous. So it meant that I had to be sent on to hospital and he had to go to hospital to get some antibiotics. Um, and what did they call it? Cause he could have had, they call it a version of pneumonia, Um, yeah, so had him at the birthing center and did not manage to get the placenta out. And this had been a problem when my daughter was born. It only just, only just come out. The woman had to tease it out, like pulling the umbilical cord, but not pulling it so hard that the placenta, I mean, it was just like, you realize afterwards how very dangerous childbirth is. So, um, had my son, they said we'd have to go to hospital and then the placenta would not come out and it would not budge. So we go to John Radcliffe in Oxford, and they've sent our son off to the like intensive care unit, Nico, Nico, neonatal intensive care unit. He was eight pounds four. He was like a giant baby compared to some of the tiny, tiny newborns that were there. Um and so I think the there's a uh, an obstetrician, so there's like nurses, midwife, um, a gynecologist probably. Um, and they basically said I'd lost a lot of blood, I'd lost like a pint of blood, more, I think. More than a pint, a litre. I mean, I lost a lot of blood. And it starts to get very risky at this point if you haven't delivered the placenta. And so they said, We're gonna have to get you into theatre. I went, Yeah, that's fine. And then there was a problem in that there were no anaesthetists and there was this basically hanging in the balance moment of we need to get the placenta out because if it ruptures, you could bleed to death. At the same time, we don't have an anaesthetist available. We can't get you into theatre. So what we can try, God, what we can try for you is we can try a manual retrieval. And a manual retrieval is as awful as it sounds. It's basically a gynecologist, I think, because I don't think this is a midwife thing, puts their hand inside your womb and takes the placenta out. And there was no pain relief available because there was no anaesthetist available. So I had to gas and air. They went, you can have gas and air. And I remember being in this room. And so there's the gynecologist um, who's, you know, going to go retrieve it. And then there was a nurse holding my hand and there was the gas and air sort of doing its thing. And my husband, so this is how I remember it was in the corner of the room. And then at some point, I was in the Hacienda. I was in, and I can still remember it now, I was in this, you know, it was dark, there was all the hazard, um, sort of, if you go and look for pictures of the Hacienda, you've got the black and yellow hazard um, signs, like on all of the the, the steel pillars and, and uh I was in there, and I was hearing this techno music, like completely like immersed in it. felt myself in there, felt myself being moved by the music. Um, it was scary, so it wasn't like I was there, and I was like, yeah, woo! It was really, really scary. So dark techno vibes, and just this these hazard logos everywhere. Um, And I was screaming, like, really, really high, really, really high-pitched. And then it was kind of done. Like, thank God he managed to get it out. Um, Yeah, you know, never, ever, ever. Well, I won't ever experience that again. Um, And afterwards, I said to my husband, did you hear me screaming? And he said... No, you weren't making any noise. And I thought, fuck, I was screaming internally. I mean, that's the dog making a sigh. That's, I think my body internally was screaming. And I, so two things stood out for me. The next day, the nurse that had been there came to see me, said, I just want to check in, see how you are. And I said, Oh, I want to say thank you for being there and holding my hand and because she said, oh, it's a really barbaric thing to do. But when you're faced between, you you know, you've got a patient that could um, potentially bleed to death, um, that needs to happen, you know. Uh, and I said, oh, I'm really grateful that you were there for me and thank you for holding my hand. And can I have a cut? <laughs> she gave me a cut. Oh, I feel quite emotional talking about it. And um, she said, oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for letting me give you a cuddle. I was like, bloody hell. You know, I think we both needed it because I think for her to witness it was not nice. Um, I don't remember speaking to him. I th- I'm i sure he did come by, just saying, you know. You <laughs> well done, Mrs. Kent, for getting through that. Um, but yeah, the nurse was amazing. So the other thing that um, happened was go back to earlier this year when I was speaking to my therapist and I told her about this and it was sort of in the context of, cause I said to her, it felt like a bad LSD trip in a way. And I have taken LSD as a teenager, so I know what that's like. And she said to me that, um, well, two things. One is that if you you know, there There is research that's looking at the use of hallucinogenics in helping people with things like post-traumatic stress disorder. And I had taken LSD at the point where I was going through some really traumatic events in my um, sort of mid to late teenage years. And um, so there was that. But also she said, maybe because you'd had those experiences, it had opened up a door in your brain. It gave me somewhere to go because it allowed my brain to escape from the horrendous thing that was happening and take myself somewhere where I could feel at least sort of safe. And I thought, yeah, that kind of makes sense, that you could be... Because, you know, the brain is a wonderful thing and a complex thing. We may never understand exactly how it works. And I thought, yeah, makes sense to me so had I not spent a lot of time you know and I went to rave nights and I went clubbing that I never but I never went to the hacienda but I watched lots of things where I saw the hacienda um and yeah that kind of whole experience of uh potentially the use of LSD when I was young and going through some extremely traumatic events. And I talked about this a lot, you know, my dad had died and my mum then became almost immediately pregnant. And then we had social services involved in our life. And then my mum had another baby. And actually as children going through that experience where instead of receiving the kind of, care and support that bereaved children need, our lives became more chaotic. Um, and that's, you know, not to lay blame, it's just that's how it was. And yeah, so in kind of taking myself off to another dimension to comfort myself during that time and to escape the reality of what was going on, it actually meant that when I went through something that was physically and emotionally incredibly traumatic you know you've just had your baby and then you've got a sign of form saying uh yeah i allow uh, this healthcare professional to manually retrieve a placenta from inside me and i understand there are risks associated with this um it's big deal isn't it so it gave me that safe space to take my brain off into which was the hacienda. What do I hope for you? I hope you never, ever have to go through what I did. Um, or that if you are not a woman that your partner never, ever has to go through that. Um, or anyone that you love has to go through that. And if they do have to go through that or have been through that, um, just know that... It, They're not alone. Um, Or if you have been through that, you're not alone. Um, So that's what I hope for you. I hope you don't have to go through anything really bloody traumatic. Um, But if you do, or if you have, then, yeah, you're not on your own. In the spirit of this podcast, I invite you to come find yourself. So hopefully you will have found something here for you. Thank you for being here for the podcast. If you enjoy it, please share it. And I will be back with you tomorrow. Bye-bye.